Welcome to the all-new Blazing Grace Show. This is your host, Jason Graves, along with my co-host, Mike Janung. How's it going, Mike? Good. How are you doing, Jason? Good, man. It's uh, it's a beautiful summer so far. You've been enjoying yourself? It's bloody hot out there these days, isn't it? <laughs> bloody hot. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, I'm excited to be doing this new show, and, and, and of course, just to catch the listeners up to speed, the new name is uh, is kind of a transition time for us here, going from the Real Man Show to the Blazing Grace Show. So I'm pretty excited about that. How about you? Oh yeah, it's. I think it sets the tone for where we want to go with the show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Blazing talks about the hardcore issues we want to deal with, and Grace right. is what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, by the way, we're kind of naming it after your website, BlazingGrace.org. How did you originally come up with that name? Well, I just w- I wanted some words that would hit people with how brilliant and powerful God's grace really is. Yeah, I mean, it's not just theology or or a Bible verse. It's something that changes lives. Right. And uh, His grace is blazing. It it changed my life. It revolutionized revolutionized it. Absolutely awesome. And of course, uh, we're going to be talking about something. That is common to us uh, as partners, and uh, and of course, our guest today, we are joined by a panel of recovering sex addicts. So these are guys that we're, we are very familiar with. Is that right, Mike? That's right. That's you right. are. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very excited to have some uh, amazing gentlemen in the house with us and piped in through the wonders of technology all the way from Tennessee to introduce our first guest. We have Mark. Say hello to the audience, Mark. Hi, everybody. We have Mark, and then in studio we have Sam. Say hello, Sam. Hello, everybody. And then there's Michael. How's it going, folks? And Steve. Hello, everybody. Well, we're excited to have you guys here. What, do you, what does it feel like to be, be, on the, be on the radio? Nervous. Yeah? <laughs> well, you look great. <laughs> Compared to what I have to work with. <laughs> right, right. Okay, good. Well, what we want to do is we want to kind of talk about what is it like to be in sexual addiction recovery? What was it like to be caught in the throes of sexual addiction before? What was it like getting into recovery? What recovery has looked like, you know, therapy groups, uh, dealing with the daily ins and outs of recovery work and how to get better, the nuts and bolts, and really kind of where you're headed because we don't want to just think of recovery as what we're recovering from but we want to look at it as what are we recovering to? What is God doing in our lives to redeem all those years of suffering and all the pain that we've caused? So, uh, you know, Mike, I'd like to just start with you. Uh, this has been a, quite a long process for you. Uh, speak to me about what it's like from you from the very get-go to, to now. Well, I started looking for help in 1991, and I'd struggled with sex addiction since I was a teenager, and the shame and the fear of rejection were miserable, and they played a big part in keeping me from reaching out and trying to get mm-hmm. help. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of why we have these guys here today is to show what a blessing it is to be able to come out and say, I struggle with lust, I struggle with porn, and I need help. Yeah. And to let all that shame and that junk off of our shoulders and move forward. And, and, and the big blessing is when we can let all that stuff off of our shoulders, then God can change our hearts. He can touch the areas we've been running from and not wanting to deal with. Right. But my struggle had to do with uh, pornography, masturbation. I struggled with adultery, uh, sex with prostitutes. So I went, I went 
full bore with it. Mm-hmm. I struggled until I was 1991, where I had big bottom with adultery. Mm-hmm. I'd been married for two years. Right. And then I started by moving into a support group mm-hmm. where other men could encourage me and, and point the way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that resonates with me. I mean, uh, and and you guys can kind of talk about sure. this too, as as you feel free as you're as you're led. But um, you know, getting into recovery at first was not easy for me. I was in a lot of denial. I thought, okay, uh, great. So this guy Doug Weiss comes to my church and talks about sexual addiction, and I finally kind of know what I am. But I didn't want anybody else to know, right? And I really didn't want to do like the work or be associated with. It. I didn't want the label. It probably took me a good two years to even be able to say I'm a sex addict, Lone Ranger. We all want to yeah. do it on our own. We don't yeah. want to admit and don't want anybody else to know. We just think we can conquer it on our own. That's the right. biggest lie that most of us have believed. Right? Yeah. Yes. And it keeps us isolated. Absolutely. That's the enemy's trick. Right. Tell me a little bit more, Steve, about your experience. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I think atypical of most guys got into pornography or introduced to it when I was, you know, 11 Mm. and, you know, the preteen years, just when you're ripe and that on top of just the other issues in life just made it just, you know, made me prime for getting in, sucked into that. And then, you know, just kept, hated it, was shameful, didn't like it, but just could never get myself separated. No matter how much I didn't like it, it was always Mm kind of like I'd get good for a short amount of time and then fall right back into it. Right. You know, you just get this nasty little cycle going mm-hmm. and, and, in, and marriage didn't stop it, mm-hmm. even though I thought, okay, that'll fix everything. It didn't fix it. And you just keep yeah. going on, you keep fighting it. And, and, uh, you know, wife finds out about it at one point in time, you think, okay, that's going to be it. I'm never going to do it again. And right. and then before you know it, you're right back into it because you're not getting that support. You're not getting the people. And in a lot of cases, not dealing with the stuff that made me susceptible to the sexual addiction in the first place, right? which is what's so important about getting into the groups is, number one, you're getting the encouragement, you're getting the support, you're getting mm-hmm. to to get that out in the open, but then you're getting to get down to the issues below that of, okay, why do I have this desire, this need, or what's missing that I keep going back to this? Yeah. And that's what the groups help with, and, and just learning about things like sexual anorexia and and, and the wounding and all the different things that you have to deal with to be able to conquer this. Right. Getting those roots. Absolutely. And, and isn't it interesting that, you know, I, I'd say that for most of us, that this started right around 11, 12, 13 years old. And isn't, doesn't, isn't that telling of what a sissy the enemy is? He picks on little boys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He gets I mean, us whenever we're at our most vulnerable is what he right, does. Right, right. And very, very rarely, I can think of maybe one case have I had in, in my counseling experience where a man came to me and said, yeah, this addiction started when I was in my 20s and 30s. I mean, it never happens. He picks on us when we're, we're little boys. Who else had that same experience? I definitely had that Um when I was 12 years old, I was uh, sexually abused and exposed to pornography by one of my classmates, and that kind of started off a rough, um, kind of a rough pattern, you know, that continued throughout my marriage. And um, for me, the, the the biggest part of of sex addiction that hurt was just the loneliness, not really having any any true friends that knew who I really was underneath my facade, um, and just not being able to be real with with the guy friends I did have was hard. So. I don't know. It's it's really hopeful now being in the uh, the freedom groups and having five to six guys that I talk with regularly and letting them know every detail of my temptations and my struggles of who I really am. Um, and you know, I mean, we we talk about other stuff besides the sex addiction. And we have great friendships, um, but having that support has just been so awesome, you know, yeah. in, in my life. Right. Great. So go ahead, Mike. Did you guys struggle with the idea that 
I'm the only one who struggles with this problem, and I dare not tell anybody else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, mine started at eight years of eight years old. I was sexually Mm -hmm. abused. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I didn't really fight it. Mm -hmm. I didn't fight it that much because I thought uh, that most everybody did the same thing. And, but I was ashamed of it uh, later in my life, uh, going through two marriages, uh, not really knowing how to love Mm -hmm. because I was taught at an early age that love was a physical thing Mm -hmm. instead of a heart thing. Yeah. And that's what really, uh, messed me up. Mm -hmm. Uh, then when I got married and uh, the marriage wasn't working really well and we went to uh, counseling and guess what? He knew me. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what it was. I didn't, I wasn't happy with my life. Mm-hmm. wasn't happy with my relationships, mm-hmm. but my goodness, what a change it has been. Great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. How about you, Mark? We want to pipe in from Tennessee. Yeah. I, I, I do. I, I, I uh, especially think that, you know, my um, this addiction started when or I, I thought this is such a big drive within me. Uh-huh. That, you know, I must be different, you know, that right. I've got more uh, of a need or something like that, that I have to take things into my own hands that I can't even trust God with this because um, he's not going to pay attention to this need within right. me. And I think as I've uh, come to understand how little I really trusted God with my own sexuality, and I was just so jealously guarding that um, yeah. that really set me up for a fall. Right. Yeah, we jealously guard it because we're afraid to let anybody know. We're afraid to really be real about what's happened to us. And, you know, most people, Mike, who have been involved in sexual addiction were originally exposed to some form of abuse whether that's seven, uh, about 70% were sexually abused, about 80% were uh, emotionally abused, mm. and 90% have been physically abused in some way. I'm, I'm, I'm Actually, I'm transposing those. 80% physically abused and uh, 90% emotionally uh, abused. So there's abuse and neglect in there. And then what, what we end up doing is we're putting up these facades and these walls. And I know for me, you know, I had found so much value in being a you know a therapist and i had put up these walls that were really more built by pride and arrogance and that's what kept me from getting in recovery you know it's so weird and really i was i was treating myself as an object you know I was, it was okay for me to be a therapist and be in relationship with somebody like that but i couldn't be in relationship just being real about who i was what i'd been through what i'd done because that would involve being a person you know well, I've been through abuse, too, and I haven't met either of these guys, and what, two out of the three of you sitting here have had struggles with some form of sexual abuse that I've already heard, and yeah. what happens in abuse is that we buy into the idea that we're worthless, that we're a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a piece of junk, then the best I can hope for is pornography or right. promiscuity, and we buy into this lie that yeah. I can't mm-hmm. be loved as I am, so I've got to go and get it at the wrong place in the gutter. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, speaking of treating ourselves as objects, we tend to think of, and maybe some of you guys can relate to this, that sex is just really something that's only on the outside. It only happens in a physical sense, when really it's much more than that. You know, there's an emotional uh, dynamic. There's a, a spiritual component. 
And so I'm just wondering, you know, through your work, what have you experienced in the in, in terms of being enlightened uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally? Well, I, the one of the things that came back to me and touched a little bit with what Mike was saying, for my experience uh, dealing with the sexual addiction, there was that whole inability to really understand and accept being loved, completely mm-hmm. loved mm-hmm. for who I was. And that was really that that need, that 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 desire to be valued, to be um, accepted, you know, wanted to, to be loved. Mm-hmm. And and instead of finding and knowing that I had it in God, I didn't know, even though I'd been a Christian, I didn't know I had that already in God. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like you knew it up here, but not in the heart. Mm-hmm. And so I would kept looking for that fulfillment, that acceptance. It, you know, it wasn't happening in my marriage, not because my wife didn't love me, but because I'd created a fantasy world of what I thought it was supposed to look like and what I wanted it to be. Right. And and so I kept trying to create that and make that and, and, and fill that cup, and and it never got satisfied. Right. And now, having gone through the recovery side of it, you really reach that point of being able to say, you know what? I am loved. Mm-hmm. God loved me at my worst moments. I am absolutely and completely loved. Always will be. Nothing's going to change that. Mm-hmm. And when you finally know and understand that in your heart, mm-hmm. then it's like a freedom. It's like, I don't have to play the games anymore. Right. I don't have to keep, I don't have to go looking for other places. I don't have to have these unreasonable expectations on my wife mm-hmm. or the people around me. I can start becoming more real mm-hmm. and it, it just opens up that dynamic of really understanding God, his love, his grace and his power, which then just changes everything. Right. Relationships with everyone around you, with mm-hmm. the people that you come in contact with. It's mm-hmm. just, I mean, so when you talk about that dynamics of the spiritual and the, it's it suddenly now it makes it all more clearer and all more whole mm-hmm. and in the relationships with like my wife has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still going through a healing process, but it's not the same as it was before. Wow. It's like a whole brand new thing that we're we're still working on, but it's it's completely different. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I want to hear in just a second from you guys about what was successful or not successful about getting help from the church. But for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the <clears throat> Blazing Grace show, formerly the Real Man show, and we're glad to be meeting with a panel of men who are recovering from sexual addiction. And uh, we're talking today about getting better and getting help. Um, and, and of course, if you're just tuning in and, and wanting to hear the, the show in full, you can find an archive on blazinggrace.org and just go to the radio show page. You, know, you can see a link there. We'd love to uh, have you be able to hear that all because we're talking about things that sometimes in the church don't, go, uh, don't get a lot of press. You know, they go unmentioned. And I'd, I'd like to know from you folks... What was your experience in terms of when this first came to light to to, to deal with in your life? Uh, what was your experience getting help from the church or not getting help from the church? Jason, this is well, Mark. I, uh, I talked to my pastor, and he indicated that there was a problem, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a solution and in the church. Right. So when uh, the marriage kind of started falling apart mm-hmm. after only being married a year and a half, uh, we seek, seek counsel, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's when the whole thing came about. Now, <clears throat> I have gone back and talked to him, 
to update him and mm-hmm. tell him where I'm going. And he is just, he's so happy that we cry together. Wow. And that he wants me to be a positive influence in the church. And it's just getting more and more and more. Awesome. It is awesome. Sounds like you had a very good experience. Mark, you were going to chime in there. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that really I have to credit my pastor with, you know, getting me, at least <coughs> giving me the information. I mean, he said, here, watch this videotape, and it happened to be a Doug Weiss video, Passion for Purity, which mm-hmm. is just an awesome tape. And and I just sat there and said, you know, I've got to do this. I mean, God just used that, you know, to call me into recovery, but um, that started with my pastor, and I have, too, also been meeting with him on a regular basis, you know, just to update him on my progress in the group and how things are going, and so he's excited mm-hmm. about that, too. So um, I wouldn't say the church has been, like, a great resource and, like, had all this information for me, but at least he said, here, start with this, and, and then I, you know, ran with it, so... Okay, good. So another good experience. Anybody, any one of you not had such a... Okay, Steve. Not so much personal experience, but just observation of what I have seen of... Right. of. There's almost a false sense of security that I have seen of men going, especially going on a men's retreat, mm-hmm. and they'll kind of like, all right, who's got this problem? Okay, everybody come up. Let's go forward. We're going to pray over this. We're going to get you delivered, and mm-hmm. that's it. Right. It's kind of like, okay, now you're set free, go forth and never do it again. Right. And and these guys, okay, great, I've admitted, I've prayed over it, I've had guys pray for me, so I'm okay. Right. And then I can almost guarantee you they'll be up to the next year at the same men retreat getting prayed over the same thing because right. they think that's all it takes is I just got to get it prayed for, I've just got to get it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're not understanding the biological aspects, you're not understanding the emotional, you're not right. dealing with the underlying issues. It's great, yes, you need to have it prayed over, you need to be praying and seeking God. I think there's too many guys that go to the church and they think that's all that, all that needs to happen. Right. And sometimes the church encourages and emphasizes that. Yeah, and oftentimes they won't get prayed again next year because they don't want to look like a failure. Or they exactly. want to, they don't want to be the guy that shows that God's not powerful enough to cure this. Well, the truth is that God does want to help, but that's all he wants to do. He wants to partner. He doesn't want to, There's no magic button in the sky that he pushes that uh, just relieves us from this forever. It's a partnership, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, and we have to go for the heart, too. This mm-hmm. isn't something where we can quote a scripture and, and then, like you said, we get better. There's right. real issues, there's real pain that we use lust for to try and medicate Absolutely, that has to be dealt with to, for final and true freedom to occur. Right. Mm-hmm. Sexual addiction is not just a spiritual issue. It's an emotional issue. It's a, a biological issue in the physical sense, not yeah. in the heredity sense. You know, nobody gave you the DNA of, of sexual addiction. And if anybody tries to tell you that, you just have them call me at 590 <laughs> I'll slap them for you and save the lawsuit. All right. All right. So, um, okay. So, Sam, why don't you tell us about your experience with the church? Well, um, I would go back to back and forth um, to my church for confession. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to priests about my experiences and about my sin. And I, I always came out on a spiritual high, you mm-hmm. know, and I felt great. Um, but it was kind of only a matter of time till my day-to-day struggles got me right back to my acting out. Right. Um, and, you know, since since I've been in this recovery process, one of my the things I'm feeling God called me to do is to, to kind of reach out the information to, to, to my church and to other churches in the area. Yeah. Um, and kind of increase the awareness, like you're saying, about the biological and the emotional aspects. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there's the tendency for priests and you know pastors everywhere just to say well you can kind of pray this way and it'll 
you know, with God's grace, it'll go away. And, and God's grace is very powerful, yes. Right. But, but having the relationships, having um, the accountability is essential, um, in my experience, to overcoming this. Yeah, absolutely. It's about relationships, Mike. And also having the forum mm-hmm. and the the assistance to to do this work. This mm-hmm. is work. Mm-hmm. This is something that we have to do. Right. Uh, God will give us nut, give us the nut, but He won't crack it for us. Right. So now that we have discovered that we do have this problem, we have work to do. Right. And with the the people that we're associated with, the counselors and all the accountability partners, oh. Mm-hmm. It's it sure makes a difference, right? Because I was so ashamed of myself. Awesome. Well, the, speaking of counseling, what role has counseling played for you in this part? I mean, uh, counsel, uh, sexual addiction is not found in the DSM. I mean, it's not something you can look up as a you know a psychological disorder yet. Uh, but uh, it is called in many secular spheres the epidemic of the 21st century. So, Mark, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Uh, counseling has just been essential because you, you have, I mean, I, you know, to have a counselor who understands sexual addiction and to meet with on a regular basis mm-hmm. is just so key because, you know, you're going to get a certain piece of it through the group. You're going to get a certain piece of it through your recovery work. But then just to have that, that person that can give you wise counsel mm-hmm. and how to proceed because every person is going to have to, is going to reach those points of pain that they're going to need healing from and need mm-hmm. to deal with, and and it's all uncharted territory. And to have some, to have an advisor to guide you through that and just give you, uh, you know, that advice and counsel is just so critical. I, you know, right. I, it's just an essential piece. And um, you know, I, I I guess some guys are afraid, you know, there's a lot of fear in all this. I mean, you're afraid of going to a group, you're afraid of getting involved in counseling, all those things. But there's such healing on the other side of it. I just really yeah. Uh, just encourage people in the audience, just if they're even thinking about it, just to press forward and don't don't hold back. Right. Yeah. Mark, did the uh, counselor you work with did he have did he struggle with lust or sexual addiction himself? Well, uh, can I say it, Jason? Jason's my counselor, so <laughs> I I have to. Uh, I'll put that out there, and yes, I think he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ding 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 ding. <laughs> we have a winner. <laughs> How helpful was that that he could relate to you in that way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Jason's, uh, you know, I just, you know, he's a great guy, and I just really have appreciated his friendship and his, just his heart, and uh, knowing that he is in the struggle with me, you know, and not just standing up on some high peak looking down on me, you know, slogging through this recovery process, you know, but when he says, hey, I've, you know, I've got, you know, I've been in recovery for X number of months or years. I mean, it's like we know he's one of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, there's nothing like having, uh, you know, a, a battle-hardened uh, uh, sergeant, you know, at the front of your platoon and, yeah. uh, you know, somebody who knows the ins and outs of uh, the, the battle you're about to fight. is just absolutely essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So has his transparency helped you, to, encouraged you to be more honest with your own struggles? Oh, yeah. I, there's no question about it. Um, you know, that, um, and, and I think it's really unique. I mean, I, I don't know how many, uh, you know, counselors out there have that, uh, mix of, uh, their own background and their own willingness to, uh, bring that to the, uh, to the process, you know, rather than just being very clinical. I mean, Jason's down on the, down on the weeds with us and I, I really, uh, 
commend them for that. And it really is it really is a nourishing, healing uh, aspect to the uh, to the process. And to me, that transparency is what we need in the church to to mm-hmm. be able to encourage more men to come out and say, "I struggle too, and I need help." Absolutely, right. absolutely. Yeah. Without the definition of the problem, you can't find a solution. Right. Can I, and that's can I what make, make a comment gave. about that? Well, though? I think sure, sure. Go I, ahead. I mean, because it's <clears throat> it's like I, I feel like I mean, pastors will stand up and say, "Well, you know, I too struggle with you know lust or whatever." But I mean, I think there's a uh, sort of a professional reluctance on the part of pastors to really be, I mean, if I really told these people what I was, you know, if I really was a sex addict, would I say it from the pulpit kind of thing? And, you know, I don't think, I think we're pretty far from that point, at least in my experience, that, you know, pastors want to say kind of like, okay, if you have this problem, you might need to go see somebody, you know, who's an expert in it. But, you know, I've I've heard about this thing kind of third-hand deal, you know, and I, I do think the church needs to be more real about the problem, yeah. but there's a real barrier there that we have to overcome. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think it's going to take, guys, for the church to be more real about this problem? I mean, we all go to different churches. Uh, we all have different experiences, good, bad, and ugly. But I'd like to hear from you on, you know, there's a lot of pastors who are listening to this station. Steve, you look like you're brimming. I, I do, because I, I, I think back to, um, and of course my mind just went blank on, on the author, but there's a real need almost for the churches to get back into a a mindset of, of being able to confess to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, people being able to say, this is not about coming to church and being perfect. It's about coming here and saying, hey, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, it was Larry Crabb who said, you know, we need to almost get into the practice of being able to say, I'm a Christian who struggles with X. Yeah. And, and, and until the church can do that, then people aren't going to be able to really be... Um, vulnerable, to let their walls down, and to really be a body and encourage and support one another. And, and right now, the church overall is not. It's more of a, let's come, let's put up our best image, let's look good, but we're really not going to be vulnerable. Yeah, let's have a party every Sunday and mm-hmm. call it quits. Yeah, right. well, that's. I just want to end with this, because Steve, you hit it right on the, uh, right the head. We as Christians, we as a church need to adopt the James 5.16 mentality when it comes to relationships with one another. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Amen. Okay, Amen. so yeah, Amen. God promises forgiveness. We're forgiven. But if you want to get healed mm-hmm. and you don't have to keep coming back to him and saying, Oh, God, I did it again. Can you forgive me again? He, he'll, he'll forgive you ad infinitum. But listen... You don't want to just borrow on his grace and and keep uh, keep on making the same mistakes. Get free from this stuff, and it comes through relationships. Guys, I want to thank you for being here. It's been great. So I think we should uh, uh, let them know about what's coming up down the pike, Mike. Uh, we're going to have these same guys on next week. Our show is on healing the father wound. So we'll be excited to have you guys back. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor, AffordableConferencing.com. But before I do that, Mike... If they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? At blazinggrace.org, we have plenty of resources for those who are struggling with sex and porn addiction, uh, resources and statistics on the issue of pornography, and uh, also information on a Christ-centered men's and grace groups that we try and help churches set up. And if you want more information on how you can get counseling, you can call me at 590-7685. That's 590-SOUL. And uh, to thank AffordableConferencing.com, our sponsor, anywhere in the country, counselors, business owners, nonprofits, and trainers, do you need unlimited flat rate conference calling? Then call my good friend Tom Parker at Affordable Conferencing. 
where his teleconferencing service allows you to conduct unlimited calls for one flat monthly fee. That means no more per minute per person charges. Go to affordableconferencing.com or simply call toll-free 888-968-6186. He's saved me thousands. That's Tom Parker at affordableconferencing.com, 888-968-6186. Have a great week, folks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.